Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Deep Drinks Podcast. Uh, my name is Dave and this is a channel where the guest chooses uh, their choice of drink and then we drink that together as we discuss deep topics. So this is going to be a good one. Today we're going to get straight into it. Uh, we have Reed Nicewonder, who's the president of Street Epistemology International and the creator and host of the YouTube channel Cordial Curiosity. Reed sets up tables, cameras and microphones in parks and universities inviting anyone uh, to have a quick conversation about anything they would like, usually an exploration of their beliefs. I've been hassling Reed uh, with questions every few months since October 2017, after first being introduced to one of Reed's uh, street epistemology clips um, that was shown on an episode of The Atheist Experience. Today, we're going to be learning about Reed's journey, street epistemology, and why Reed is so passionate about it. So that said, welcome, Reed. Nice wonder. All right. Hey, Dave. Glad to be here. Thanks. <laughs> well, um, th this is this is a bit of a new one for us because uh, we're going to be mixing drinks. Uh, we've, we've, we've mixed drinks once before, but we've never done it to such high production value. So <laughs> um, first of all, what are we drinking? We're drinking an old fashioned. Cool. Uh, and uh, I guess let's uh, let's get started. So Reed set up a, um, a yeah. whole drink section. With two, with, he's got drink cam and a cam. Another, uh, yeah. Let me get over there. It's in the corner. Hang on. Yeah, Just sweet. Me. And let's let's uh, mix up these old fashions. Uh, so, Reed, <laughs> we've been talking for a long time. I I didn't realize how many years it's been. Um, so yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I guess first, like I've always been interested, I've heard bits and pieces, but I've always been interested in, in what your journey was actually like. So uh, do you want to give everyone a bit of a run through about like what did growing up for young Reed look like? Hmm. Yeah, sure. I grew up in Bristol, Virginia on the Tennessee border of Virginia and grew up. Is that a... like, um, is that um, like uh, that movie? Um... October Sky. Have you seen that movie where they like launch rocket? Is that like that that kind of area of Virginia? Um, not exactly, but I that area of Virginia is very familiar to me. That's where my mom's family is from, and my dad's family kind of. Uh, oh, my really? dad's my dad, and my grandfather's uh, actually owned a, a whole series of coal mines in that area. If you've watched October Sky, that you know you know, in modern day, there's, you don't have to actually go down in the mine like they used to nowadays. It's all with a uh, huge, you know, power tools and trucks and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I did go to that area a lot growing up as well. Um, and wow. accompanying my dad to the, to the mine. Wow. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, you didn't grow up in that. You, you grew up in a part of Virginia, but not that. Not there. You just went there. Yeah, I just went there sometimes. Um, when my dad took me to work, sometimes. He, oh, okay, cool. he, he was a uh, supervisor of the uh, whole mining operation, an engineer. Uh, okay. Okay. Cool. 
So were you, did you grow up in a like traditional um, Christian, have a traditional Christian upbringing? I did more so when I was younger. Um, we would go to a Southern Baptist church fairly often, not every week for sure, but at least once or twice a month until the age of maybe seven or eight, and then kind of drop down to Christmas and Easter. Mm. Um, yeah. What's a Southern Baptist church look like in Virginia? Um, as far as I can remember, it was, you know, just pews, organ music, very kind of somber and serious and hymns. And then a preacher, one person went up and preached for a while and then offer an altar call and an offering at some point at the end there. So was it, um, did you guys like believe in speaking in tongues or any of that Pentecostal stuff? No. Okay. Right. Um, so, okay. So, uh, were you a pretty, like in regards to like your personal, like how you felt personally, did you, were you like quite a firm believer or were you just kind of doing it out of tradition or, um, like how did you view Christianity from a, well, I can only imagine that you've had the same brain, but you've got a very, very logical, unique brain, I would say, like the way you think. Um, so how would you, how did you view Christianity back then? I always thought it was weird. It, it did conflict with what I was hearing in, in school, in private school, especially at the science part. And, you know, we were taught, you know, literal Adam, Adam and Eve. And I remember that being very strange and like a Noah's flood and stuff. And I just kind of took it more as stories, but the God existing itself, I was always wondering how do people know this? I, I remember thinking, well, who wrote this Bible? I remember hearing the term, the new Testament. I'm like, well, why is there a new one? Um, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was always a pain, really, to go to church. I never really wanted to go, and it was more tradition for me. Right. So, if like if if you were talking to Ray Comfort right now, he would ask you, "Did you have a relationship with Christ?" Um, and it's a trick question, obviously, because um, if you say yes, then he he says, "Oh, well, you so you believe in Christ." And if you say no, then he goes, "Well." told you uh you you never really experienced jesus so but from your perspective back then did you have a relationship with jesus did you pray to god or feel anything mm, there was one moment where like during some kind of bible school or something when i went you know down downstairs while the service was going on they did like a you know come to Jesus type moment where they took you, they took me by myself and had me pray and say the, you know, all the words to become Some a Christian. Prayer. And I remember yeah. being very emotional at that point, crying. That was the most it ever got in terms of emotionality. How old were you when that happened? Um, maybe 10, 10 or 11. All right. Wow. Did you know what you, did you kind of know what you were doing back then? Or was it, 
it was it just like you were going with what you were told or did you understand the concept of like forgiveness and all that stuff not really at that point no interesting it was more social so why do you, for sure so do you think part of the why why do you think you were crying then um i don't know it was just emotional manipulation <laughs> i like how you say it like that I assume. <laughs> it is actually um it is quite nerve-wracking to put yourself in that situation where everyone in the room is like believing in this thing and it doesn't matter what it is and then you get it kind of ushered into this moment where the attention's on you and you're kind of like okay like you're going to meet this thing that everyone in this room's talking and and obviously believing in so like even that amount of like pressure is like um even if they were you know praying to the flying spaghetti monster it's still like a wall like there's something there might be something here it's like it's, it's it can be a very confusing feeling um i remember a moment in youth group where i was praying for one of my friends who came we i was in a pentecostal pentecostal kind of church and i remember one of these moments where i was praying for one of my friends from school who came and she was crying but the way she was crying didn't feel like it was a good it felt like she was just very confused because like everyone around her was kind of like slain in the spirit as they say and speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff and i was praying for her and kind of prophesying over her and she's just like kind of shocked and crying and then mm. she didn't come back or anything but but i just remember thinking like that cry wasn't a normal cry it was like a i'm confused cry and i wonder if a lot of people have that experience where they're just kind of pressured into it and then they they're looking for like a way to stabilize their emotions and then they find something to grab onto i wonder if that has anything to do with it but i don't know i'm not a i'm not a um, psychologist or anyone in the relevant field me either yeah it's just a lot of build up and then release it's like you're trying to get a release from it mm, mm. Yeah. so uh so when did you first having doubts about like your christian faith in general like so it sounds like it was a little bit of like a back burner like it's there but it's not like a huge part of your identity but when did you first start kind of questioning even that small part of your identity that was kind of maybe there yeah i went to boarding school in chattanooga tennessee um and i took one of the, uh, an eastern religions course um mm -hmm. I learned a lot about Eastern religions, Hinduism in particular, and just that was really the first time I dug into that in detail and learning how so many people could believe something completely different from me, these different gods. I went on a trip down to um, Atlanta to actually visit a Hindu temple and saw, you know, actually people in the flesh and blood were actually praying and, you know, worshiping these these gods in a temple and how they would, you know, give offerings to all of that. And that made me think about a lot of the, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm. I, um, I, I, I had a similar experience when I, when we, my wife and I first started traveling, we started like noticing like other religions and like how devout some of the followers were and things like that. And it was, um, for me, it was quite eye opening. Um, but I remember bringing back footage, uh, we went to China and we went to, uh, and there's like a Buddhist temple at the top of like this mountain and we went to it and there's got like a female Buddha in there. And then it's got like a Buddha of the past, the present and the future. So like big, three big Buddha statues and they look after your past, your present and your future and all this stuff. 
we bring back the footage uh, and we're showing, you know, we're showing some of our um, friends and we're like, oh, look at this. Like this is, you know, and, and they're Christian. And we're like, this, this was so radical. This was like, just, I've never heard of this kind of religion ideas before. And one of them, I think, got offended at one stage and stood up abruptly, go get a drink of water and said, I can't believe these people believe this um, shit. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of just like, you know, you just kind of, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, and just like kept going through the, 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 the travel footage or whatever. But in my head, I'm like, uh, every religion looks funny from the outside. I mean, like if I was to explain Christianity to them, I would say like, okay, so they believe in a, a God that sacrificed himself to himself to serve as the loophole for rules that he created that he can't circumvent because the devil was an angel and the devil but the devil had free will, so he rebelled and God doesn't want to kill him yet. He wants to kill him later. Like it, and, and if you're good, you'll go to heaven. And if you're bad, you'll get tortured forever. Like it sounds like from an outside perspective, it's just like, this is nuts, right? Um, and so I, I, I find that, uh, I love what the creators of South Park say. They say like every religion looks wacky from the outside. That's only when you get into it that you kind of forgive all the nuances. Definitely, exactly. Yep. And just trying to see the Hindu temple from their outside and then look kind of looking back from their perspective at Christianity of my own beliefs is it was strange. Mm. So how so did, how did you approach these doubts like when you saw when well not doubts, but when you I guess saw that, how did you start approaching those um those doubts, both emotionally and intellectually, I guess? At that point really I didn't, you know, the class ended and I didn't really think too much about it for a while. Um, then I just, I didn't really think about religion all that much. Then I went to college, but then I got freshman year. I had an atheist roommate um, and I went to film school and he had the Steadicam and he was like really cool in my eyes. But like on his Steadicam vest, he had like a, a cross with the red, you know, <laughs> no spoken sign on it yeah yeah like yeah a, you know bad religion type uh, icon and i'm like oh well, well that's interesting but i never really talked to him about religion i just knew that he was like it was at, it was at the 2005 ish yeah year so that was when the new atheism movement was starting to get a bit of traction and i just saw him being an atheist that was probably the first person that i saw that i, that I knew who was an atheist and he was great he was a great guy he was one of my best friends and just seeing seeing that probably did a lot uh to affect me later on when i did deconvert shortly after college okay so you, you he, so he wasn't eating babies or anything like that um oh, weird oh, weird i thought mm -hmm. you say babies so so uh, did you ever talk to him at all about religion or was that like uh, an after you just kind of noticed that he was an atheist and he was not a psycho yeah didn't really talk to him about it at all but he was very <laughs> he would always wear shirts with you know very provocative stuff on it but never <laughs> talked to him about it <laughs> his um i feel like uh is he still like that or is it was that like a phase i don't know he, he, he it's probably a phase at that point but he's still very out there I'm yeah sure yeah it's point still <laughs> I feel like everyone goes through, um, everyone who deconstructs usually goes through like what I call the edgelord atheist days where they just love, like, they, they want to scream their like, I, like, 
they want to like challenge everyone and like you know be provocative and stuff um i definitely went through that when i was uh, going through stuff yeah. um <laughs> so so how did you actually so you had the eastern you know the eastern things like eastern religions kind of there and kind of that kind of opened you up to the idea that other religions can have different beliefs and they can believe them just as strongly as you and then you have this atheist roommate who isn't um it's just like seems like a normal person how did you go from that to eventually analyzing your beliefs or did was it like a long process or did you, one day you just wake up and you go i don't know if i believe in god anymore yeah this maybe takes a little bit of setup i went to film school 2005 to 2010 at the end of film school a bunch of my friends roommates and i got it in our heads that we had to make a feature film so basically the semester the summer semester right before what can i just can i just did you go to i went to film school as well when i dropped out but did you go to film school when you were using actual film still like did you have to do film or is it going to digital at that stage it, it was 2005 to 2010 and that was when it switched to digital yeah it, i remember going to a a film school like summer camp in high school and i used film then that was a program they offered but in college it was it had just switched to digital and like every year there was a, a revolution in camera technology and it just got getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and at the last year dslrs came out that you could just get extremely high quality hd beautiful looking footage and I'm like holy crap we got to make a movie so we decided to make one one of my roommates produced it the other one wrote it and this my roommate who wrote it is just he, he likes really high concept stuff and at that point he was a christian and he made this he wrote this script and i guess i'll just give the twist away um it takes place in a pre-life world and wow. there's malevolent forces trying to get at these few people in the high-rise condo and at this point at one point they have to make a choice in order to actually get to be born uh for real in the real world and you know i don't really care what the story was uh i just want to make a movie but we shot three-fourths of the movie over the summer uh we got as far as we could and i had a lot of this footage to edit over the next few months and i just started thinking about the consequences of the actions of the characters and the themes of the story and at the same time you know when i was not editing i was browsing this new at least new to me a website called reddit and uh <laughs> at the time the r atheism subreddit was a default thing that would appear on your homepage if you weren't signed in or even if you were signed in really? I think it was just a default a default thing that showed up so as you were browsing wow. you would you would see every so often a post about atheism or something and i've been banned from that sub like three times on three different accounts <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yes yeah at the time it was just fairly popular so i started clicking on a few links eventually i think i found a few episodes of the atheist experience and that just at first i was maybe very taken aback by it very annoyed like who the who are these people to say god doesn't exist like what the hell mm. that's not right 
but I would just, I was a little curious and I started watching some episodes and, uh, didn't take long after watching other channels like Mr. Deity, you know, just seeing, seeing the whole beliefs laid out, you know, as they actually are, as they, as the logic of it entails, just being parodied in that way. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't long until I completely just, uh, deconverted all the, the, the remaining bits of my faith for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So was there like an aha moment or like, was it just a kind of, you just look back and realize you weren't, you no longer believed in God or. I don't remember exactly if there was a moment, it was just a, you know, I don't think I believe this anymore. I remember sitting in my chair and then looking outside and thinking, holy crap, you know, we're, we're on a planet floating through space. Like this is a fragile, precarious predicament we're in. <laughs> it's, this is it. Um, it, it, it's just us together. So that was a bit disconcerting. And then, yeah, it just took a, the next few years, just reading up on all the uh, stuff I could find. Started reading new atheist books and articles, reading other blogs at the time, watching videos, watching movies, just taking it all in. Right. Do you have any books that, because um, this, did you have any books that really stood out to you that helped you in, in your kind of journey? I like Sam Harris's The End of Faith. That was really okay. good. And just, yeah, Mr. Deity on YouTube, The Atheist Experience, The Thinking Atheist at the time. Yeah. Different podcasts. And just, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, right. I uh, I don't know if I've read The End of Faith, but I've um, I read uh, Waking Up, uh, and I, mm -hmm. I used to live in um, Mount Coulomb, and I'd go for walks uh, in the um, the quarry around there um, with my dog at the time, and listen to that, and it was like it was mine. It was crazy. Like Sam Harris is a nut job, like in the best way possible. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah, crazy. Um, someone said, uh, uh, um, <laughs> I could I could legit listen to read read tnc's you've got you've got a <laughs> you've got such a good uh, such a good radio voice it's awesome um thank you thank you <laughs> so um so when did you discover critical um thinking in this process like did you did you kind of um yeah, when did you just discover critical thinking in this process and like the in, in the journey did you like was it through the atheist experience that you kind of started to evaluate those beliefs and that got you more interested in it or um shortly after college around late 2011 i moved to here to los angeles and the next year i joined a local atheist meetup club uh, atheist united here in los angeles i started attending just talks from various people and 
in late 2013, I went to this talk by this guy called Peter Bogosian. He had this talk about a manual for creating atheists. Um, and he had a book about it. So I read that shortly afterwards and that really inspired me. And it talked a lot about critical thinking, the Socratic method and how faith is the linchpin. It's like the kryptonite of religion. It's a, people use it as an epistemology. They use it in other ways, but sometimes they use it to justify believing in stuff and just framing the religion debate. Like I was always watching debates as well and people would just throw out arguments and stuff, but they would rarely get down to the method of how they're checking the quality of those reasons and never getting down to the core justification. And a lot of times when you just peel it back all the way, it ends in a kind of, you know, well, it's just faith. Um, I just believe. Mm -hmm. And if you try to have a conversation around that and get to that and ask questions around that, seeing if that's a good way to come to beliefs in general, that is an interesting way to have conversations about religion. And that opened it up my mind to just thinking in those terms, how do we know what's true? What are good reasons? And yeah, that's set me on the path to learn about critical thinking. Yeah. I, uh, I remember talking to um, a Christian friend, um, in a bar, um, circa 2017 or something. Uh, and, and, uh, and he kind of dismissed, he said two things. He's a smart guy. Um, and he, you know, he's quite Pentecostal and, um, you know, he believes that he's, you know, his people who have been raised from the dead kind of thing, like that level of like woo, I guess, um, fringe parts of the Pentecostal movement. And, um, he he says that the few things he says you can't you have to you have to accept the undeniability of scripture because like the, the perfectness of scripture because otherwise you can just throw out the whole thing and i said to him well uh well i wasn't doing a street epistemology so i just said to him well can't you see can you see that you've just made an ex like you've just made an excuse there you've said i don't care what reality is i'm just going to accept this one thing for whatever reason the other thing he said was um uh was that the Socratic method comes from like Greek thought and that he doesn't necessarily believe that that's the best way to think about things. So it's like you evaluate and I, and I was just hoping we could like maybe discuss this quickly as a, as a side tangent or maybe not quickly deep drink podcasts. We do tangents all the time, but uh, how do we justify the Socratic method as being the best way to evaluate, I guess the world or like to, to, to come to, or logic and reason, I should say, to come to a, a real understanding of the world. How do we justify that? It, it, it's very similar to the scientific method. You start with wondering about something, usually a question, and then you offer a hypothesis, some kind of answer to the question. And then someone asks questions about this answer. It, they try to test it. They tried to figure out what is this answer um, either predict or infer. And then you ask questions around that. Does this lead to a contradiction? 
does this mm. make sense in some way? And it usually comes to either some kind of aporia or dead end, but then you offer someone to revise their answer and you start over the process again and you just go through this question and answer process until you're left with something that withstands the criticism. And that's kind of mirroring how science uh, goes about testing hypotheses and having provisional knowledge. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And that's that's part of the why why I accept accept it. I, I, uh, I won't mention their name, but um, I've had the uh, the misfortune of having long email exchanges with a critic of the um, street epistemology way uh, of mm -hmm. SE in general. Uh, and they they mentioned they, they were just quizzing me on how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Like, how can you trust your senses? How can you trust um, your logic if you use your logic to justify your logic? Like all those presuppositionalist arguments. And when I flipped the script and asked them over and over and over again, like, just give me, you need to give me a, you need to give me a concrete answer on like how you justify your beliefs. Or no, I said, um, what's the best way to examine the universe or to come up with answers to the universe? Cause I was saying it's the scientific method. Uh, they said, it's to have faith in uh, faith, to have a hundred percent faith in Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. I said, how does that teach us about the atom? How do we, how do we make uh, evaluations of an atom with having faith in Jesus? Like, how does that, how does that make sense? Now it's easy to dismiss that and go, okay, he's just making, they're just making justified. Like they're just justifying their beliefs um, with nonsense. Uh, or just giving you a throwaway answer, but but I, I sometimes wonder like what if what if there is something to that and we just can't see, not something to it that sounds bad, but what if we just can't see the re the well, not even reasoning what what if we just can't see their perspective? What if there's like a, literally like a block, and that we're we're viewing things in a way that um, that only works only makes sense in, under a certain paradigm. Does that make sense? Like if you talk to a lot of people who do psychedelics and talk about like quantum mechanics and all this stuff they don't understand, but they have this like other experience. How do we know that that experience isn't the, like some real experience and what, where, how we're trying to evaluate things is just a certain, it's a story that we're telling ourselves that gives certain answers, but there are other answers out there if you ask different questions. Jeez. Um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, deep drinks so, podcast. Deep drink, yeah. The drinks in the deep drink podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, you feel free to offer any hypothesis you want. It's the testing of the hypothesis that science emphasizes. Mm. Can can you predict anything? Can you use it in some way? Yeah. What? How can you tell if you're mistaken? If someone used your same process, but concluded something the opposite, how could someone from the outside, seeing both of you, tell what was actually the case? Mm. You know, how do we adjudicate any kind of conflict there? Yeah. Yeah. And well, I, I think that it's hard because I agree. I agree. I think the scientific method is the best tool we have to examining the natural world or anything. Um, it's, 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 it's the best. Um, 
but um but i just i often i often wonder if they're if, if i'm trying to be as good faith to these um these other people's beliefs as as uh, i possibly can because like imagine so just to just to wrap up this tangent a little bit but um i used to develop video games i used to do when i first started i was very creative i was like just bang on um with my creativity i was making this game called burger run you're this fat dude who ate burgers right and it was like mario uh and then i realized i needed to learn how to program to make video games right so i spent a year just watching programming tutorials learning how to code i even trained my way trained the way i used to think about things nothing was gray anymore it was black and white i think that's actually part of the process that lead me led me to question my beliefs is is i had to like view things as true or false um and uh when i went back to actually start making a game i lost all my creativity i had no i hadn't flexed those creativity muscles anymore and i had no i had no ideas were coming to me and i found it really hard to come up with like the the broad brush brush strokes, the, the, the grays in my creative process. Uh, and it literally was just a different way of thinking that had different outcomes. So like, if, I guess if you're after like objective truth of the universe, the scientific method's a great tool, but if you want to feel the emotion of a love song, you can't really write that on a pen and paper. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's different stages of the scientific method in the testing part of the hypothesis, you want your results to be unambiguous. What mm. either it's this way or this way or some other way, yeah. bunch of different options, unambiguous, no creativity. It's just there. But if you back up and go back to the hypothesis creation stage, you want to, for any phenomenon in the world, you'd like to hypothesize, just imagine any, particular cause you could think of generate mm -hmm. through your creativity as many hypotheses as possible. So maybe, I don't know how you preserve this creativity, um, capacity, but it, science requires some creativity as well. Um, light bending, that's pretty creative. Um, a bunch of hypotheses that turned out to be the case were far out there, mm. non non intuitive. Um, so it requires creativity for sure. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Actually, like the start the start of it is like the the imagining the the wonder the 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 what could be because um, you yeah you you look at like Einstein's ideas and stuff like general relativity and things like that and they sound just crazy like they sound out, outlandish but the, the, the thing is like they they work the maths works <laughs> and the observations come true you know um uh, well actually i don't know if um if all of einstein's stuff came true because we've recently had that new discovery uh, about um about quantum mechanics or something i don't know uh anyway back to your story how did you um first learn about street epistemology yeah in 2013 i saw well, for, I think I first heard about Peter Boghossian in the Thinking Atheist podcast, and then I read the book or started reading it, and then Peter Boghossian did a talk in LA, and I didn't really do much in 2014 related to street epistemology. It wasn't until early 2015 that I was watching something on YouTube, but then I, I saw this video from this guy called Anthony Magnabosco. At that time, in early 2015, he was doing 
kind of a version of street epistemology where he was mainly yelling at street preachers uh, outside the Alamo. I've looked for those yeah, videos. I don't know if they're still there. I'm trying, yeah, I tried real hard to look for those videos. I couldn't find them. You'd have to go into his playlists. I think they're unlisted. So go back to 2015 <laughs> playlist early. But that was interesting. But then he started doing it, getting feedback from the community um, in the comments and on Facebook. And he would start asking more questions and people would be, would slow down and think about these questions. Um, and it was very different from the, the atheist, atheist experience, other atheist debates. And you, it would see people think. And then he started going to a campus and really developing his style, becoming more open and cordial. Um, and that really got me into street epistemology at that time. I started participating more in the Facebook group and around mid 2015, this video chat site called Blab uh, was launched. And it's kind of like what TikTok Live is now where you have up to like four people on video and a chat at the same time. And you can just chat with people and the chat can award people points. Um, and a bunch of us from the street epistemology community just kind of talk with people for a year straight, 24 seven, almost, <laughs> um, not much, not much productivity happened in that year, but we practiced street epistemology and, you know, we really started seeing how effective this way of talking with people was. Side note, I would love to see you with a few old, after a few old fashioned scream, create content screaming at street preachers. That would be uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you release a video of you just screaming. At, <laughs> that'd be so funny. Be so good. Because one thing I, one thing um, I love about your content is you're so level headed uh, through it. I've seen one where you've gotten like pissed off uh, and I'm sure there's a bunch, but there was that one where star signs, I think star signs trigger you the most, right? That's the, the thing that triggers you. Is it star signs or astrology? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. When people assign personality traits to me, permanent ones, <laughs> um, even though, even if they're true, like it's just, <laughs> it's just it's insulting for some reason it's insulting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and it's funny too, cause I've sent your video to some, uh, friends I used to go to youth group with and stuff. I sent, I sent, my favorite episode is Tia, um, T-I-A. Mm. I've watched it about a million times. Uh, I just, I, I, I really love it. And I've got a link, I'll link it in the description, but it's, um, it's fascinating. Um, but, um, they, and they said they, they, you know, they come back with, um, what gives him all the answers, right? Like, uh, because they're like, they, 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 they don't understand the concept and they can see clearly that this Tia girl is struggling a little bit. But what I love is you don't have the answers. In fact, I've seen you have conversations with people about things you believe in, uh, like I think um, it was climate change one at the time, and you were challenging them, like you're asking questions to get them to explain why they uh, believed in climate change. Uh, and then they kind of got a bit stuck because they didn't have a good answer. And then they asked you and you said, oh, yeah, I believe it for these reasons. Um, and uh, so so that's what I love about your content because you, you're very... Um, you're very like chill, 
uh, when people watch you, you, your stuff, yeah, and level-headed, yeah. and you got that voice. Um, <laughs> so, do you remember when you first like did start doing street epistemology? Maybe you can actually, sorry, maybe you can actually just tell everyone what street epistemology actually is, because I gave a short int introduction at the start, but like for someone who hasn't seen it, what is street epistemology? Yeah, one of the official definition we're using now in the course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're writing a course. We've been writing it. Anthony, myself, and another guy, Rom, and a bunch of other volunteers. So module one, the definition of street epistemology is the long version. You don't have to use this technical version, but street epistemology is a way of applying a set of philosophy and psychology-based tools through civil conversation to help ourselves and others reflect on the quality of the reasons one might have to support the level of confidence that a claim is true. We try to make it in that long version something you can maybe scientifically mm. test. A short, like a shorter way to say it is like a way to help people reflect on the quality of their reasoning through civil conversation. So, uh, and so, when did you first start like going out into the field and doing these conversations, having doing street epistemology, like IRL? I started summer of 2016. I was still volunteering for Atheist United at that time. And there was a LA Times Festival of Books and we had a booth there. I set up a table and a really janky GoPro and blue Yeti mic setup and did it for the first time in public after doing it for a while on Blab, but actually doing it in public with people face to face, that was very different. And after that, I started then going out to the local Griffith Park, just below the Griffith Observatory, uh, set up a table and that same janky mic set up and GoPro set up and started just talking with people sitting there, letting people come to me and yeah, practicing, getting feedback, watching myself back on video. I was not the best starting out for sure and just did that for months and every week about for about three hours and yeah got like a lot of great feedback did uh is there something that like is the is the process of essay for you is it more about is it like something that you're you really enjoy helping people kind of think about their beliefs or is it because i know that that person that's been emailing me say it's like a tool for atheism or as a tool for something like that but I, I know that you don't really hold to that idea um so what why is it that you do se yeah my goals have shifted over time when i first started out i had the expectation that i could potentially like deconvert someone on the spot that was a really mm -hmm. dumb goal to have I, I got some people to think to reflect some to reduce their confidence a little bit in supernatural stuff but at this point, if I ever talk about religion or supernatural stuff, it's mainly planting some kind of seed for further reflection. And I'm not expecting them to change their mind on the spot for sure, especially for these core religious beliefs. Mm. Yeah, that's not a wise expectation. Mm -hmm. I do want people to not so much just lose their faith i want them to be good critical thinkers and if that results in losing some kind of belief then 
as long as you do it for good reasons, that's fine. If you care about believing true things. Cool. So it's, it's not necessarily about religion either. It's about any belief, right? Yeah. Yeah. We started realizing these, this technique could apply to virtually anything, anything anybody said, social issues, politics. Yeah. It's very versatile in that way. Yeah. Did, uh, so have you seen a shift in what people say, so how long you've been doing it? It's like five years now, five plus years. Um, since 2016, so about six years. Yeah, six years. So have you seen a shift in what people believe more or like what people are wanting to talk about more or less at all in that time? Um, I started offering my own topics maybe 2017, 2018, a little board next to my table. And I started shifting after November 20. It was very shortly after I started November 2016, you know, Trump being elected. At that time, I was like, holy crap, that's interesting. So I started shifting more to politics and social issues and all the stuff that was happening in the news. So I would always either have some of those topics on the board for people to pick. So I don't really have a unbiased way to tell like if mm. someone just wanted to talk about something i always had various options for people to pick and that might have had a selection bias so hard to know have you noticed um so uh have you noticed like people have stopped using certain words like for example like um did people used to say like oh this is natural natural or, or this is you know like you know it's it's natural to do this or it's have you noticed that like change a little bit or like someone started using the words like um um, um like have you noticed trans issues come into it a little bit more or anything like that or is it more been pretty hard to tell because you've had your own kind of topics um yeah i think some of the last year, people are starting to think more about gender and trans stuff. Just last week, I set up my table with a whiteboard and a, a I use these little magnets for people to use to write down claims or questions. And it was, we were doing a conversation, a spectrum style SE, me and Dolly when some other person and other people just walking by here at UCLA and someone wrote, what is a woman as a potential thing to talk about? Uh, I'm stuck mm. it on the board for an option. Mm. So that that's a that's something that's now in the zeitgeist. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, have you got any horror stories? Hmm. I hope you do. Not really, not much. Yeah. One time, I was just sitting there in Griffith Park, and someone sat down and just flipped me off. They probably mistook me for a Scientologist. Uh, I had the, sign, <laughs> had the sign, what do you believe and why on it, which is very similar to their phrasing and their well, Like David Crowder, like, oh, here he is again. <laughs> yeah. Besides that, not really, not much. Um, yeah, it's been fairly nonviolent. Yeah. What are your... Um what are your favorite conversations like favorite topics to, to cover and what are your least favorite topics to cover yeah for some reason i still like talking about astrology even though it makes me mad um, <laughs> it's so bizarre that people take it that seriously 
yeah, not so much religion anymore. Now I want to talk more about social issues related to identity politics. That seems to be a hot button issue that people have hard times talking about. Um, not so much. A, I, I, yeah, I find like domestic policy or foreign policy boring, but I'm open to talking about that. It's the more cultural war issues, wedge issues that are interesting to me. Mm. Yeah. I noticed that um, on either side of the political aisle, the far right and the far left seem to kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. Like um, in regards to like, I feel like the far left pushes people to the right and then the right has that, like it's got, you know, is there with open arms and the far right are so, so insane that they push people. I don't, I don't know. It just seems like um, the, in America, there seems to be such a dichotomy of thought, like, like the, the the centrist to growing few few in far between you know what i mean it seems like you, like but i don't know if that's actually true or if it's just something i've like witnessed um yeah i think there is more polarization unfortunately uh and so is street epistemology is that like something is it is is part of part of it like to help some of that polarization is that what like you're hoping to get out of it personally yeah i think so i think if we listen to people more and at, you know, first listen to understand, then we can find common ground and bring us more together. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have any success stories? Um, another conversation I had was with this guy called Dominique. And I don't, I've never talked to him again, but at the time, he seemed to kind of grasp this crucial concept of falsifiability and the value of having our beliefs be testable just right in that moment. And he really thought about that and thanked me for talking about that. That was cool. Besides that, just, uh, just the general positive feedback I get maybe one out of 10, one out of six talks that, you know, thank you for, helping me think through this. This was fun. And mm. didn't you don't often get a chance to do this. This was uh this was interesting. You know, I like what you're doing. I find that to be very nice. Hmm. Since so, you know, I used to binge your videos all the time. Um I think I watched like every video, like every one of your videos when they came out I would watch. I, I loved it so much. Um uh, I still do watch it, but I was at, at the stage of my life, I was just binging it. And, um, and I remember using some of your, some of the techniques, some of the street epistemology techniques and some of the way, the way that you would present yourself on having hard conversations with not just like my friends and family who may be religious or, or, or whatever, but, or believe something differently to me, like whether it's vaccines or, or whatever. Um, but like, even like conversations with my managers at work <laughs> or like uh arguments that me and my wife would get into like we would use we would kind of use those techniques on each other to try and like get to the root of like where where the disagreements were coming from if that makes sense instead of like pointing the finger and saying you did this or or, or whatever or at work I'll, I'll i'll just ask more socratic method style questions to try and lead them to the conclusion that i think uh, is where my brain is. Um, you know what I mean? 
definitely um, science, broadly speaking, is a kind of a conflict management type of system. And there's always conflict potentially happening in workplaces. You have a problem and management has different ideas how to solve the problem. There's arguments happening and we, with SEI, the nonprofit, we're starting to get more inquiries about how SE could potentially help them in their business. Some people are starting to use it and it sounds like it's helping, um, but we're still very early on in kind of utilizing SE in this way. It's very new and I hope to see it grow in that direction. So do you have any, so first of all, I've got so many questions, but first of all, that, uh, what is SCI? Yeah, SEI, Street Epistemology International, is a nonprofit we started in 2019. Uh, Anthony Magdabasco is the executive director and the president. Um, FYI, everything I'm saying here is uh, just my own my own thoughts and beliefs. Uh, being a nonprofit, and uh, just before yeah, we were, we went on live, you were screaming at some people out your window, some street preachers. So. <laughs> yeah, and. Over the past few years, we've started building up the board, got a bunch of different projects. The main project is cre the creation of a street epistemology self-directed course, which has been taking forever, but we've been getting really good stuff. Like, stay tuned. It's really good stuff. And besides that, we're also doing research on street epistemology. A preliminary paper is like almost in the works for that. Besides that, we also help support SE content creators. Um, help fund their their efforts that's been what we're we what we're doing right so like if someone wants to i guess um start doing se and they don't have the funds your this this organization's going to help them right is that the idea yeah you can submit a request for funds and we will most likely help you out <laughs> so cool that is so cool and so the goal of this is um is uh is just to keep spreading critical thinking and the, you know the scientific method the idea of the scientific method you don't have to be a scientist to do the scientific method um you can use it in everything um that's so cool um mm -hmm. so uh so i guess we could touch a little bit on like why do you why does se matter like for you so why why is it so why is it so important for you that you've dedicated so much of your life uh to this yeah, and there are various goals for why use SE. Your own personal goals can be just to better understand other people. Sometimes you hear something someone says, and you can use SE to better understand what they're saying. You can also just, if you care about critical thinking, you can use SE to practice critical thinking uh, with people who make claims. It's a great way to to do that and also you could use se as a goal for other other people sometimes someone says something and you disagree or think it's false as long as you're open-minded and being willing to be wrong you can question them about it and potentially help them reflect on the process they're using for that and potentially update their help themselves update their beliefs a kind of persuasion a kind of way to teach people critical thinking in the moment and then have them apply their those tools to their beliefs and 
they not only potentially revise their confidence in that particular belief, but then use this, the tools they use to do that and apply it to many other beliefs in their life. This on a societal level, if that starts spreading, people would believe more true beliefs, less false beliefs, and that would be better for society. People vote, you know, public policy of affects us all. Our own individual beliefs affect each other. And it would be a better world if our maps actually reflected the reality we live in. So do you think um, if, 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 do you have like a secret source for like, say, if someone comes up to you just like at a bar or at the Halloween party you're going to tonight and, start, and, and says something that you disagree with, uh, like, oh, you're a Libra or you're a Scorpio, so therefore X, Y, Z. Uh, how do you, I, I imagine that most of the time you just smile, nod and kind of go to the cheese board or whatever you do. Um, and like what, you know, you don't engage. But so let's say you do want to engage with someone. How do you normally start that interaction outside of like a formal SE? Would you have advice for people? Yeah, that is really the main way SE is done. It's not done on a college campus or uh, in the park. Most of the time it's between individuals, even though I virtually only do it on campus or at a park. And I rarely do it with just random people, even my friends or family. So I actually have very little experience doing that, probably mainly to my, due to my own personality. But I could give advice from the course we've got. It's just, you just start building rapport, make small talk, say something like, oh, that's very interesting. Do you mind if I ask you questions about that? You know, get explain what SE is and just get consent to do the conversation and you can just go from there. Do you have a way that you uh, out, like you remove, like you, you de defuse the conversations if it's getting too heavy? I've, I've had experiences where I've tried to use SE. I had, um, I was at my wife's work event these ladies come up, they thought I was um, still like a practicing on fire believing Christian. Uh, and they started showing me footage of, of someone getting out of like a wheelchair in Africa or something, or like started talking about it on my phone and then telling me how good God is and stuff. And why don't I come to church, their, their church? And then uh, like they kept asking and I was like, well, I don't necessarily subscribe to a lot of the beliefs that's from the pulpit. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? And then I'm like, well, do you mind if I ask you about your beliefs? And then we went to, but, but eventually um, they were both like angry. Um, uh, uh, but I was trying to be as like calm and polite as possible. Do you have a way to defuse those kind of moments uh, or um, to not get to those moments? Yeah, especially with religious beliefs, it's best to not send these messages out from the very beginning, like saying, like making it adversarial or, you know, I'm, I believe that I don't believe that I'm not on your team, not on your side. You could just mm -hmm. be more open and curious and be open to learning more about that. Just pretend like you're just learning about this for the first time. You never knew about this. And say, even kind of think oh, they know the truth. I just want to learn, put yourself in that mindset. Mm -hmm. How do, how do we know this is the case and learn more about it? Ask questions, repeat back, you use active listening, well, kind of see what the benefit they're getting from this is and and share how that would be really great 
if you if that was the case that people can be healed instantly i would love to believe if that's true i don't I'm not i'm just not sure at this point can you explain to me how this works and why why do you believe this um how could we know if this was actually potentially not the case you know but always doing it very slowly cordially and uh yeah talking to people that way have you ever had i've had this experience i'm just wondering if you had as well have you ever asked someone about their beliefs in that way and they say i don't know so i um, I, I have i've had friends who've, who've who've said to me that the earth is definitely flat and i said why do you think that and they say oh, i can't remember i said what do you mean you can't remember why you think the earth's flat oh i looked i researched it okay or well, same with vaccines oh, i can't remember they're just bad why are they bad like I'd, I'd love to know why they're bad like tell me more about it like i i need to like if they're bad i don't want to take a vaccine i'll just tell me about why the vaccines are bad and then like i can't remember i don't know Hmm. Have you ever had that? Or was it just my friends? <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. It's also good to think about what people, what these kinds of beliefs are doing for people psychologically and socially. If you run out, if you're going down the epistemic road, talking about how they know something, and you get the, the feeling that they're too uncomfortable or they don't want to talk about it. There's some kind of psychosocial motivation happening around the belief. And it's great to talk about that stuff uh, in a way that they don't feel judged. If if you talk about that, like, like what is this belief doing for you? Uh, if you no longer had this belief in a few years, how would your life change? What would be missing from your life? And, you know, different thought experiment questions related to that, where that re reveals these psychosocial motivations. And you, because a lot of our beliefs are tied to that stuff, if we haven't thought about it too much, we're human. And if you talk about different strategies for meeting the needs that the beliefs are, are meeting, are helping us meet these needs, if you switch them out with, or at least have potential other ways of meeting those needs, then you can go back to start talking more about the epistemology and feel more safe doing it. Um, it relieves a lot of pressure, a lot of bias. And, uh, or you could leave it there and then pick up the conversation at another time. But thinking of these kind of beliefs in those terms, in addition to the epistemology, is uh, really advantageous. Interesting. So, um, so that is all super fascinating. But I, I know we've only got uh, like ninety minutes ish. Um, so I want to uh, jump into some Q and A questions. So if anyone's got any questions, um, make sure to um, type it in the chat. Uh, and I also want to advertise a few things. So. Uh, everyone, make sure you go and subscribe to Cordial Curiosity. It is, I mean, how many videos you've got? Like a lot. I think it was like 150 or something. You've got a lot of videos. Yeah, the um, past year I've, I haven't been uploading as much. I've been doing other things. But now for the past month or so, I've been going out once a week for like at least three or four hours with Dolly juggling lessons. 
to record stuff at UCLA. So stay tuned. I've got a bunch of footage and it's coming. And this, this episode, TIA, TIA is, is just amazing. Um, I really love, I just really love the way you handle this. Um, someone said to me, this man has the best poker face in the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's really good. It's really good. Um, so everyone make sure you go subscribe to Cordial Curiosity. And if you want to learn more about, um, SE, um, all the links, obviously, uh, in the description of this video and, um, and on uh, Reed's uh, YouTube channel here, and there's some cool stuff coming up. I just also want to mention some stuff that we normally mention at the start, but I'm mentioning it here is um, we have a few cool episodes coming up. We have Nitty, who's in the, um, I think might still be in the comments here. He's going to be talking about his experience growing up in a cult church kind of thing. We have uh, Biddy Buddha talking about ritual, uh, ritual agnosticism, so tarot cards, um, star signs. Uh, she doesn't necessarily believe in them, as an atheist, but she likes them. So she's, we're going to be talking about that. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Oh dear. And, uh, we have, um, what is a man, uh, with student, Dr. Ben talking about transgenderism, uh, Ben's story. Uh, and that's going to be an interesting episode as well. And for those who want to listen to these episodes, we have deep drinks podcast on Apple, Spotify, everything else like that. So um, you can listen to it. And this episode will be uploaded shortly after this is finished. Cool. Speaking of poker face, uh, Nitty comes to the, the Pine Creek poker uh, poker game. I host <laughs> once, or, once or twice a week. And yeah. That's, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've, uh, I keep seeing the um, invites for that because I, I asked to be on the invite list, but I haven't made it yet. It's been like a year or like six months or something um, just because it's always at times that I can't do it. But, um, mm, but yeah. Yeah, I live in Australia, so it is what it is. For me, it's 11 a.m. So, uh, oh, yeah. so, uh, so if anyone wants to learn more about SE, where can they go? That's the first question. It's kind of a boring question, but it's... Uh, Streetepistemology.com. Yeah, cool. Streetepistemology.com. Uh, and so, uh, have you changed your mind on anything as major as your religious deconstruction? So since learning about critical thinking and SE, has anyone like come to you maybe with star science and now you're a hard believer in star science or something like, has, has anyone swayed you? As hardcore as the religious deconversion? Hmm. Not really, not really. I've maybe just shifted from being progressive in my politics to more moderate. That's the most shift. That's the biggest shift. Okay. Um, and did that happen because of like some conversations you're having or is it more to do with, um, uh, like the zeitgeist of like what you were seeing around, like how the left and the right were handling things. Yeah, just various stuff happening and other content I've been watching and talking with people about various issues in person. Yeah, lots of different mm-hmm. factors. Interesting. Uh, what if anything would change your mind? It's the question I ask everyone. In on general, the belief. on the on God, God belief, God belief, yeah. Um. Uh, any kind of 
miracle in control testing conditions that anything that breaks our current models of empirical theories like physics if you do something similar to like first king's 18 you know, i like pine creek's example of lighting some kind of water soaked napkin uh lighting that on fire that'll be a good one do that in a controlled testing condition especially if there's multiple people watching and doing it more than one time that would be great what, what is it one king's 15. it's like the the story about how i forget what there's certain tribe there, there, there are two tribes one tribe believes in one set of one god another one is believes in yahweh and they have a competition you know more my if my god is true he'll he'll light this wood on fire well i know not only that i'll just drench my wood in water and uh just to make it more hard and uh they pray in the name of whatever oh, god elijah they, yeah and they uh they light the wood on fire so that would be pretty good right. something like that or you know limbs getting grown back people coming back from the dead well you have you heard about jesus he came back from in, the dead in present day i need something today so the the uh yeah i guess um i've been i've been asked this question by a street preacher actually a street evangelist i guess and um what would change your mind i didn't have a good answer at the time I don't know what would convince you of God's existence because obviously like they, they, they go, well, if you don't know what, what would convince you, then, you know, that's an issue. Um, but um, what I ended up, I ended up thinking about it more because um, I didn't have a really good answer for it at the time. But my answer to that was in order for me to believe in the God of the Bible as, as, a, as taking a literal interpretation of the Bible, I wouldn't, it would be the same thing that would require me to believe in a married bachelor. And that is like, because even if the God that you're describing there, like the lighting of the, the flame, you'd still have all these problems with the Bible, right? Like, how do you, how do you view the Bible? How does these things make sense historically? Are they historical? Are they not historical? Um, so for me to take a literal interpretation to the Bible, like the Genesis um, account of creation, 6,000 year old, you know, the contradictions that are there, it would be the same thing. That I would need to believe in a married bachelor. That is, it seems like a bit of a, a wish-washy question, but it's it's like unless you remove those those issues that are there, the it, you can't view it under the lens of like inherently perfect. Yeah, there's conflict between all good and all powerful. Yeah, stuff like that. But I, I could still be unsure about the essential properties. But there's something out there causing mm. our empirical reality to violate itself as best as we know and that would cause me to question naturalism mm. so this is just a this is just a random aside again uh what do you do when you're talking to like someone like a muslim or someone say or, or a christian and they say god needed needed to have created like this universe something needed to have created us it makes no sense that we just came from nothing what do you say to that person I don't know where the universe came from. <laughs> but do you, do you agree that it needs a creator? I'm playing devil's advocate here. Um, no, 
could be a hack and something it just could, it could be the case uh, i don't know my intuitions <laughs> about that type of thing is not reliable yeah that's a good that's a good answer that's a good answer uh i i i, I have a weasley answer as well um to that i say um i believe the universe came from the same place you believe god came from because obviously they believe god just was so i just believe the universe either just was or something just was right um mm -hmm. to get past the infinite regress problem but that's a weasley answer that's that's just to point out that hey you're you're you don't know either buddy <laughs> it could have always existed uh, or someone could have created it no idea uh we have a um question asked before um would be interested to get the insight into Reed's view on Boghossian's current Bogosians. directory. Bogosians, sorry, Bogosians current directory. It feels as though he's been there's been a shift in his intent and methods. Yeah, if you've seen his current YouTube channel, it went from five thousand to over a hundred thousand in a few months. I was on the oh, really? reverse Q and A tour. He was on this summer, and it's. You know, it was not an SE themed type of tour starting out, but his original intent was just to hear out, you know, dissident college students around wokeness and critical social justice, you know, hear, hear them out. But we soon found that that format was not working very well. And we then started the kind of spectrum format where there's seven lines on the, on the ground everyone starts in the middle everyone uh, agrees on the claim they're discussing and then they move to wherever their confidence is either strongly agreed or strongly disagree and peter acts as a kind of se moderator and everyone oh, hears hears, hears each other I've out seen that, i think i've seen that video where where there was the transgender there's something and there's a bunch of it's like a viral video a bunch of students come down from the library and they like confront peter about that is that is that who I'm thinking? Yes. Um, ah, yeah. Okay. We were doing some Spectrum SE on the Portland campus, and that happened. And I think that's evidence of some, you know, some potential bit of bias from certain departments, uh, uh, some problematic attitudes and mindsets. You know, nothing that's very compatible with our preference for critical thinking, um, being open to hearing people out um stuff like that so we will that was part of the goal of the tour is to see if that was happening on any campus and we got a bunch of good examples of that but peter did that on his tour got a bunch of good conversations and now he's in hungary doing the same thing with people in hungary conservatives usually i'm getting footage from his conversations there right now and we're planning to do the same thing in full Florida um, mm -hmm. in a few months to get more, you know, stuff from conservatives. So I think Peter is doing SE and helping ex expose the illiberalism on both sides and trying to figure out some common ground and help, helping anyone from any side think through their beliefs. And I, mm. I support him. Do you think um, just on that, just on that like viral video of the, you know, the people who were really upset at the trans 
lines on the ground or whatever. Like, uh, I don't know what it ex exactly was. But um, can you empath empathize at all with the, I guess, the, the lack of engaging in critical uh, conversations amongst that? Because people may be uh, super sensitive at the moment in regards to trans issues, especially on campuses ever since the days of Jordan Peterson. Um, there's obviously, I think there's obviously an issue personally when it comes to like, you should always be able to engage in critical thinking, but do you see that, do you see that a lot, a lot of the time members of the LGBT community, and especially the transgender community have to kind of justify their existence to the world and that a lot of people are like, a lot of their friends and stuff are like, well, that's kind of bullshit. And then they like actively, I guess, um, they're looking for, I used to say this when I was a Christian, I'm looking for a demon under every rock. They're looking for bad faith actors under every rock. And I guess what Peter is doing uh, or what any, anything that, not just Peter, but anyone doing that kind of, that kind of uh, having conversations about trans issues on campus, people associate you maybe with Stephen Crowder's, you know, um, change my mind kind of things or Ben Shapiro's um, conversation, uh, not Ben Shapiro's, who was that? person who released that documentary what is a woman matt like walsh. They're just, matt walsh yeah they're just associating those conversations with like the alt-right so they're like very protective against i guess the transgender community that's being hurt by these things i can empathize with that mm -hmm. you know i although you know I, I wish they would be more open to conversation and less you know less of the immediate uh strategy of just denouncing and calling names and ad hominems yeah at I least be open the conversation a little bit i was talking to shannon q about this when she was on and um it seems as though i worry see this is this is what i worry about because i'm i'm progressive i'm pretty progressive in my social politics um and kind of centrist in my economic politics but I'm also a dummy when it comes to politics and sociology, so I have no idea. But what I find frustrating is that there are so many bad faith actors wanting to engage in these conversations about transgender issues that what happens is uh, they'll come to a conversation, uh, you know, wanting to ask a serious question, like maybe like, um, uh, isn't gender just what's in your pants or, you know, something like that. And someone may have that as a genuine question and they're seriously considering it because someone's told them, you know, or they've thought, thought this, but they're indistinguishable from a bad faith actor. So they're treated with like this, um, like aggression from the left or from uh, allies of the transgender community. And as a result, they're like screamed at by someone with blue hair. <laughs> And then they turn around like, oh, I was just trying to ask a serious question. And then the alt right are there with their open arms saying, told you those crazy feminist lefties, uh, you know, they're, they're all crazy. And they're there with opened arms, welcoming them in. We, we've got your brother. Do you know also that the Jews control the media? And do you know also that, you know, like, so it's, I worry that, that there's a shift happening there. But then at the same time, I think that it's kind of dog shit that trans, the transgender community and like the LGBT community, like lesbians, gays, like have to fight so hard just for things like 
being able to marry or, um, you know, like they have to like, um, they have to like justify their existence all the time. And nine times out of 10, when someone comes to them with a, with a question like, isn't uh, gender just spots in your pants or just something like that, it is bad faith actors. It's someone who's watched too much um, Ben Shapiro and they think they've got like the own on trans people and then they want to like kind of attack them over it. So yeah, it's a messy situation. I don't know if there's an, an answer to how to resolve it, but I agree with you. It'd be nice if people could get engage in the conversation more critically. But I also think that, and this is just my personal opinion, that unfortunately it's hard to do that when there are so many bad faith actors at the moment um, on either side. What do you thoughts? Yeah, it's hard. I think it's just better not to see not to view demographic populations as political um, contingents or parties or like there is never you know, the, the transgender community is a it's a demographic population, not a political coalition. There is a diverse viewpoint from mm this whole set of people in this immutable characteristic population, potentially. And I'm sure if we had a random sampling of like 10 people from that population and put them in front of the spectrum game with the claim there are only two genders on it, I would love to see how that turns out. W would they all be on one line? I doubt it what reasons would they have to be on the different lines? Mm. And uh, people, that would be great to see if people are one way or the other. Like, you know, people need to be persuaded, not shamed into their beliefs. And hearing people out and their reasons, especially if they're in that population, that would be great to see interesting people need to be persuaded not shamed That's an interesting thought hmm yeah like gay marriage people were persuaded for reasons um hmm. through a liberal process hmm. people were talking to each other and making arguments and that you know, there are some media movies and TV shows that helped it along, but ultimately, you know, uh, someone who was gay and an activist could talk with someone, give an argument, and that person could then take on that argument and persuade other people about it. Hmm. They don't need to have the characteristic themselves to have the moral argument for it. Hmm. It's funny. I, I have a I have a um a graduate certificate, a, a degree in, in marketing, and so I view everything as brands. So so for me, there's like a there's a there's a, there's a transgender brand, there's an LGBT brand, there's a, a white brand, there's a black brand, there's a there's a um um there's a the, one of the biggest brands that is out there is uh, natural slash organic. That is a, that's a big brand they talked about in um in uh in um 
in university and it's like people they're like sticky beliefs and so when someone when someone subscribes to one part of like natural or organic right like they're like oh i'll, I'll get organic stuff from the, the fruit market then they're like they stick themselves to the i like organic natural brand and then that encompasses all these other beliefs that they don't necessarily think too much about but they subscribe to so then when someone tells them you know vaccines aren't natural they go oh maybe vaccines aren't good you know and they they've associated themselves with this like brand uh and i think that for the gay marriage thing i think the brand of this sounds horrible to talk about human beings like that like this but i i think this is how social pe social species work they view things in a certain way and i think there was enough work in media in um in um the discourse in um liberal um ideologies that let that brand of uh, the gay brand i guess be popular enough that people were okay with it that the the majority who weren't lgbt were okay with it and i feel like the, that the transgender community have got a long way to go still in that regards which is unfortunate because i think they're just people who want to live um live like everyone else and just and not and not be questioned about their identity um yeah there's the fundamental issue of do we want to imbue these immutable characteristics with meaning or we remove the meaning from the from these things i think brown eyes has no meaning you wouldn't care about the distribution of people with brown eyes in your workplace and we want the same thing for brown skin eventually mm. in my mind that's the liberal mindset um we want to remove the social significance from these things not not bolster them not make them brands in my mind oh i don't think i don't think it's it's not a prescription the brands isn't a prescription i need to clarify that just the same way um uh survival of the fittest isn't a prescription i'm more talking about it as the way people view things like the way people who don't think about things too much find favor or don't find favor with certain things like nazis yeah. become a brand right like no like no one the word nazis become almost amorphous and doesn't mean anything because it's been used so much um for things that aren't to do with the nazis you know so um someone disagrees though uh with you Cool. Um, I disagree. In Australia, it was a fact that our neighbours, in particular New Zealand, shamed our government into having uh, a vote uh, uh, for us. Uh, a vote, and he what? Having a, I guess it's a gay vote. Half of us always supported it. So he's saying that the New Zealand government shamed the Australian government into having a plebiscite. So the plebiscite was like a mail out mail out ballot to. Um, to see if people support the same-sex marriage. I don't know if you call that shame. They, they shame the institution to have a yeah. have a mail-in ballot or something, mail -in, mm -hmm. a vote. Yeah. Okay. I guess that would work in. I guess that would work on an institutional level, but I don't know. I don't think you can shame someone into changing their belief because they're, they're not changing their belief. They're not changing what they're convinced of. They're just they're just being pushed into the other usually being pushed into the other side of of things everyone's everyone's surprised that um who's that guy Carl Rittenhouse who you know yeah killed those people in those protests 
um, everyone's surprised that he's now hanging out with alt writers, and you know he's very. I'm not surprised. Like you see the way that he was like vilified by the left. It's like of course he's going to like be pushed further into the right. Same with Jordan Peterson. He's, in my 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 opinion at the moment, Jordan Jordan Peterson is essentially a partisan hack. Um, but that's only because of the way the left has treated him. In my opinion, I could be wrong. I haven't looked into it. Don't don't quote me on that. But it just seems that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just, it just seems that way. Anyway, um, let's jump. Let's jump back. And let's 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 roll things back a little bit. Uh, I've got a question. If you were doing SE uh, with a racist, what factors do you look for to see if they are looking for honest dialect or if they are ignorant and won't change their minds? Um, if they're an honest actor, really, SE applies to bad faith or good faith. You're mainly asking questions. You're not trying to give them an argument. Yeah, SE works fairly well with trolls because you're re repeating back and getting clarity on the logic. And even if someone's trolling, you, you still just go through the argument um, and get clarity on it and critically think about it. But if, if, if people are watching, that's it could be potentially beneficial, but if they're bad faith, you just kind of say, I don't think this is honest. Um, I'd like to have an honest conversation. Um, so I'm going to move on now. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we did a review of a conversation I had with a, um, with a uh, racist person. I remember, um, I'm sure you remember as well. And, um, and uh, that turned that turned into an absolute um, shit show by the end, um, where uh, like he eventually like kept kept commenting on my channel over like ten times, like debate me, debate me, and I said, okay, I will, like every time. Yep, jump go on my Discord, I'll debate you anytime. Uh, and then I basically just put out a hit piece on him, like um, like a totally non se, um, and then we got into like a screaming match where I just laughed at him the whole time, and it was the most satisfying thing ever. And I had like a really, really big conflict because I wanted to make SE style videos, but then I also wanted to be able to yell at um, racist online because uh, both of them were <laughs> equally as enjoyable to me. So my branding is a little bit confused with my channel. Um, yeah, no worries. So uh, last question, and I liked, and I, I like to ask this to everyone, unless someone asks another, another question to ask, but um, what is the most plausibly true religion you don't believe in? Um, I'm not that familiar with most religions. I guess Buddhism. Everyone says Buddhism. Because I mean, <laughs> there's not much, you know, there's not much empirical baggage there that's problematic. Okay, there might have been a guy that started it. But the commitments to it are not that not that bad. It seems to, and it also just seems to work psychologically for a lot of people. Mm. So that that helps. Yeah. What about like the karma, the dharma, the reincarnation, the uh, the infinite lives until you become enlightened? Is that all? Yeah, that's not that's not ideal. <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard question isn't it because um and i've asked uh i asked uh i've asked christian 
Christians this, and it's 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 an interesting question because it gets you to, to evaluate other other beliefs. Um, yeah, the Greek gods. I think I'll choose Greek gods. Really, like Zeus. I mean, if there's just a plurality <laughs> of gods, and that explains right. potentially all the bad, weird, bad stuff that's happening. Random, you know, random natural disasters. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I think maybe um, I'm probably Buddhism, but maybe um, nothing. I'm thinking about Shintoism could be cool. Like Shintoism could like they have like, you know, they have like nine gods of rice. So there's like a life force in everything. Like like everything has a life force. Um, and and so I guess that that could be accurate, and that maybe that maybe that's the dark matter that we can't detect in in the world in the universe or something. I don't know. Um, but it's it's a it's it's stepping out of the realm of faith and into the realm of um of uh, 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 science, like evaluating the ideas. Um, you ask that question. Yeah. Well, Reed, thank you so much for coming on Deep Drinks Podcast. It's been a blast. This is now gonna be my poolside drink um this is delicious in fact we've nice. bought a block pool uh it's summer it's just coming into summer or sp late spring here in australia so we're just gonna sit in the backyard pool with these drinks me and my wife um and have a great uh, sunday afternoon so thank you so much for coming on it's been fascinating talking to you uh especially about the transgender stuff that's i think there's there could have been a whole other conversation there um, but uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, this was great. Loved it. Thanks, Dave. Oh, awesome. All right. See you later, guys. <laughs>